0: I want to speak to you today as believing people who see the invisible. For most people that we rub shoulders with day by day, they don't understand the invisible realm. But for us as believers, there is something that is taking place beyond this world of space and time that is our reality. It describes who we are, our identity, and beyond that, the reality of our faith. And that is the teaching of Jesus as our heavenly high priest. Let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we think about Jesus, our mind is informed most fully from the Gospels, which describe about three, three and a half years of Jesus, mainly his earthly life, or at least public ministry in his earthly life. But I wonder how many of us, when we think about Jesus, think about where he is now. Is it a mystery? He's, no, he's not here physically. Where is he? What's he doing? And here we find here in Hebrews 4, there's the description of Jesus as our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Very important description, passed through the heavens. I'll come back to that in a moment. And uh, it describes him seated on the throne of God at the right hand of of the Father. In other words, a place of supreme authority. A place which is real. Now, he, he, here's where we start. Now, if I, if I was speaking to a bunch of my friends, and, and they, they, they will be Buddhists, New Age people, atheists, all different kinds of philosophies, they would not allow me to go on. They would ask, what do you mean, Jesus? We don't see him. Where is he? Heaven. You mean it's a real place? What are you talking about? Now, for most of us, you'll have a background in the Bible and you'll be able to fill in the bits. But I think it's important to ask ourselves, do we really believe it and why? Because for us as believers, still many of us can have this idea that earth is where it all happens. Heaven is pretty irrelevant. Now, I understand how important that is. You have a mortgage to pay, you've got to pay your rent, you've got to find a job, you've got issues at home, usually, accommodation, work issues, employment issues, emotional issues, more issues than tissues, more hang-ups than dry cleaners. We've got all of that. And that's the real life. It's the real life. It's where we live every single day. If you don't believe me, wake up tomorrow morning and you will soon discover it upon you. And I I like a kind of heavenly-minded faith that really operates at a daily level. We have what we call here the Ministry of the Giants, in which we consciously look at the different areas of society that are important to us, the movers and shakers, whether it's politics or arts or media or education, and to understand, to think through our faith practically, so that we are relevant. We don't, don't just come and sing hymns and songs on a Sunday, in this kind of air of, um, of super spirituality. It's all about being anchored and rooted and make, bringing change and making a difference where we are in our daily life. However, earth is not where it all happens. The truth is that heaven is the ultimate reality. Now it is hidden and, and invisible, therefore can we take it seriously? And if there's any, uh, ever one thing I would love to be able to communicate to our society is this. And that is, if we talk about spiritual or religious truth, you haven't suddenly moved into the realm of opinion. So what we think of as this, things we can see and touch all around us, that we have evidence for, scientific facts and so on. These are the real things. And when it comes to... Stuff outside of that, you know, philosophies, ideas, religious belief. That's just a matter of opinion. If it's a matter of opinion, you really can't challenge somebody else on their opinion. Their opinion is their opinion, your opinion is your opinion. Think of one of the uh, young millennials I was talking to. He was in in a barber shop. I can tell you the whole story now. Barber shop, time for confession. It was a barber shop, tattoo shop, and a beer shop. I indulged in one out of those three, and you will not know which one, anyway. well, it was, I didn't need, have a haircut, and I didn't get a tattoo, so anyway, there it is. And um, there were young people, alternative people, tattoos everywhere, amazing people, wonderful people. Spent hours talking to them. They allowed me to film in all, all of the shop and uh, talk to them. And as part of the research, I'm trying to understand people and looking at this millennial generation, and this young lady, beautiful young lady, said this. She said, I believe in everything. All right? I believe in everything. Well, have been trained in philosophy, I know there's some problems with that statement, but I know what she's saying. She's saying, I want to embrace lots of different things, lots of different people. I don't want to judge. I don't want to say I'm superior to anybody. I, I want to value everybody for who they are. That's, that's what she means. But you cannot really say you believe in everything. Um, Does she believe God is the devil? Does she believe the devil is God? No, she's not a Satanist. She doesn't believe that, okay? She, She doesn't believe everything. But she likes to embrace everything. She likes to value other people's views. And her justification for this was these words. She said, we don't believe it because it's real. It's real because we believe it. Now, that puts a finger on a lot of the attitudes of our postmodern generation and the idea is when it comes to religious belief it's not about fact, it's about the reality you construct and if you believe it it's real for you and you live it and it's valid for you but at the end of the day how far does that go? Try it tomorrow morning. If you're 500 pounds overdrawn and you get a telephone call from your bank manager, you're sitting in front of him tomorrow morning, 9.45, and he says, 500 pounds overdrawn, and you say, hmm, that's your reality. (laughs) I don't want to live in your reality. My reality is I'm 500 pounds in credit, so there. No, well, the the proof is you're negative, you're deficit, you're in the red. Okay let's try again. I'm in the positive, I'm in the positive, I'm in the positive. Anything change yet? Nothing. Now I know we're talking about slightly different categories, but the important thing for us is to say, do we believe it because it's true? And you say, well that's very difficult, extremely difficult, because where is the proof? Now thankfully over the summer we've had people from all over the world, some of the top Christian apologists, I mean, I mean, there were there were more brains in this place than I think this building was big enough to, to hold over the summer. And one of them was Frank Turek, and he, he has this these four questions. If we can answer these four questions, then we're on the way to seeing that what we believe is not we believe just because we want to or because we think it's a nice idea, but there are some very strong evidences and pointers in this direction. His first question is, um, does truth exist? Does truth exist? You had a lot of fun with that one because if you say truth does not exist, you ask the question: Is that statement true? So to deny that truth exists is proof that truth exists. Okay, you'll catch up with that by lunchtime. Then our next one: Does God exist? And there's slightly more complicated uh, reasons to look at that, and there are many reasons for believing, as there are some reasons for disbelieving. But you need to, if you look at the evidence, you will see that faith in God is not just blind faith. And faith is not believing something just because you want it to be true. But it, it, it touches a reality that is true. And then the next question is, do, are miracles possible? Well, if truth exists and God exists, the miracles are possible. So he follows through on that. And then the final question, is the New Testament reliable? Meaning, what's the evidence that when we turn to the New Testament, that actually we have a record of the things accurate record of the things that Jesus said and did and what evidence is there that what Jesus said he actually said it and what, what the gospels record actually happened especially the resurrection of Jesus now we're not going to do that now but the, those dvds are um, videos are available so have a look at that but I do want to say to you not only would we want to challenge people who do not have faith to have a look at these things I want to challenge you I've challenged myself challenge myself. One of the things that my friends enjoy is that blank sheet of paper which is getting filled up by quite a lot of things. So I have all these Christians or non-Christians and and sitting down with them and uh, I say let's start with a blank sheet of paper um, and, and what I'm saying is that I am w- willing to examine my faith to go right back to the very beginning and ask myself the question does God even exist and you say hey 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 uh, we're gonna believe it anyway no matter what you believe, pastor we're gonna believe. Well I do believe, I never stop believing but it's important to examine. Socrates said an unexamined life is not worth living. I challenge you in the 21st century to re-examine your faith because an unexamined faith is not worth having. You need to know what you believe and know why you believe it, that it's not just make believe. So with all of that as a preamble let's get to this that I'm talking about today. We have a high priest ...who has passed through the heavens. What does that mean? Well, it means that the physical world... ...whether we talk about this planet or any other planet... ...or this galaxy or any other galaxy... ...that way beyond our universe... ...there exists a reality beyond that. And that is not incredibly unreasonable. Most scientists today, it's a commonly established theory today... ...that the universe had a beginning... They call it the Big Bang. Well, it might have been big, but there was no bang anyway. Let's worry about that. But whatever they call it, and the evidence for, one of the evidence for that is the universe is expanding and expanding and expanding, and it's, the space is expanding, and as it expands, it is growing. What is it growing into? If there's nothing beyond that, what's it growing into? And if you got into a, a rocket now so fast, 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 you'd break out of this universe, where would you be? So if... God existed before the universe came into being and by the way nothing comes from nothing everything that comes into being is caused by something god did not come into being he always was but the universe came into being god created the universe therefore he is outside the universe timeless immaterial eternal person powerful and that's the realm which is reality and more than reality ultimate reality now that was stretched the the, the belief of many people, but this is our starting point. If you don't believe it, re-examine it, take a look at it. But we've got to understand that beyond this world, there exists another world, which is God's world, which is the world, which is the ultimate world, the ultimate reality. And believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, that's where you are now. Hey, hold up, hold up, hold up. You better go back to Brazil. Maybe you need another cocoa on Coca-Cabana. Hmm. What are we talking about here? The Bible says you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. I thought I was in Kensington Temple. I thought I was in Notting Hill Gate. What have you been smoking over the summer? <laughs> the Bible says that your identity is in Christ. It's an invisible identity, but it's your true spiritual identity That's why here we can have over a hundred different nationalities in this church, and we know we're all one. And we love each other not despite our differences, but because of our differences. All right? Because our identity is created from heaven. And that's the great glory, the mystery of the Christian church. Uh, Something that so many sociologists and people who want to work out in society, would love to see happen. So what is the secret of a real unity? It's not uniformity, a real unity. It is the creation of God. And it all comes from our our identity in Christ. Let's have a look at this in Colossians chapter 3. Heavenly mindedness. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And that's the realm we're talking about here. Beyond this physical universe, where Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Either that's a nice, just a nice picture that doesn't mean very much, or it corresponds to a reality beyond our physical senses. Outside of this universe, there is God's throne, God's kingdom, where Christ is seated now, and it's real, it exists, and certainly, the Apostle Paul considers it. He said, "Because set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth." It doesn't mean to say you ignore your circumstances. It doesn't mean to say that you ignore the earthly realities. Some people said Christians are are so heavenly-minded they're of no earthly use. I, I I would say I want to be so heavenly-minded that I am of earthly use. Nothing Jesus came down from heaven to Earth, and he was the most practical, caring individual. Not only did he teach and preach, but he practiced. He demonstrated and left us examples. If you are truly heavenly-minded, you will make a difference in your home and your family. You will know what it means to be a, an influence, to be part of the solution. Not just part of the problem. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died. Your past life is is resolved. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's your true position. When Christ is your life, who is your life, appears, then you'll appear with him in glory. In other words, Christ is your life. And if we could bring... ...some of that heavenly reality into our earthly, daily experience, I think this world would be a better place. Can I have an amen in the house of God today? There we go, there we go. So where is Jesus now? Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 says, the point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, passed through the heavens above heaven. So in other words, the throne of God is not on Mars or Jupiter or anywhere else in our solar system, nor is it seated somewhere else in our galaxy or in a galaxy beyond our galaxy. It's in a totally different dimension, totally different world. And just for those who've looked at this in the past, um, probably we could describe about three three heavens, all right? There's the physical heavens, Okay. and then there's the heaven of heaven, where... Christ is seated, and also says, "Principalities and powers operate in heavenly places." So, if those of you want to, want to sort all that out, just goes to show there is enough heaven for everybody, and there's enough earth for everybody, and we can also understand the importance of having a true spiritual mindset. Okay. So now, what's it all about? Hebrews seven twenty-five. It says, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Very important, draw near to God through him. Now, this is where a lot of my friends, I don't like to call them non-Christian friends, it's sort of like, you know, they're friends, they're just friends, all right? And my friends don't necessarily believe what we believe. We say, hold it right there. You mean to say that I can only come to God through Jesus? Why, that is narrow, that is bigoted. Well, every view excludes something. All right? But they want to feel they can exclude. And, and just think of the nonsense of this. Buddhism in its truest form says there is no God. Hinduism says everything is God. Judaism and Islam says there is only one God who is not the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christianity says there is only one God and Jesus Christ is the God and Father. Of, uh, uh, uh. He is his God and Father. Do they all sound the same? Does it all sound the same to you? Of course not. Every one of these religions is making a truth claim. Even an atheist is making a truth claim. God does not exist. He claims God does not exist. It's a truth claim. And excludes people who say God does exist. Am I going too fast? All right. Okay. I'll slow down. So in other words, it's unfair to pick on a Christian viewpoint and say, oh, that's narrow. Okay? Every claim to truth excludes something. Two plus two equals four excludes every other answer like the ones I gave when I was in primary school. And I was wrong okay so what why is it that we can confidently say and that that Jesus is the way to God because the bible here says only Jesus has done something for us no other religious leader has ever claimed to do this and so this means that God has sent his son into this world to represent us dying on the cross another big another big story about that one but essentially he wasn't dying for his own sins that he was taking upon himself the rap that was coming to us. He took it upon himself, and that's not the end. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. And, and, and this actually, in terms of maybe circumstantial evidence, but in terms of forensic evidence, you have more evidence that Jesus raised from the dead than would be enough to convict of such a viewpoint in a court of law. Study it. Others have done so. Scholars have studied it. Journalists have studied it. Even Uh, lawyers have studied it. Philip Morrison, Who Moved the Stone? set out to write a book disproving the resurrection saw the evidence was so great that he himself was convinced and wrote the story, the book, Who Moved the Stone? Who Moved the Stone? That was his big question. Somebody moved the stone. God was in it all. So there are many many reasons to believe that the Gospels hold a true account. And if they are true, then it presents a story. A story in which God came into this world. Yes, his throne is outside infinitely, infinitely transcends our world of space and time. But into this world, the God who can do anything, he stepped in the person of his Son. And there's no other explanation for the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did, and the things that we know about him to be true. And that one qualified to be our Savior and our High Priest. Okay. Now then... When we talk about high priestly ministry, you need to know what's happening here a little bit. This is a book called Hebrews, which is written, we believe, to a Hebrew Christian community. Either some converts to Judaism from the Gentile world or plain sailing Jewish community who had discovered in Christ the fulfillment of all the hopes of their prophets. In other words, that the Messiah that was prophesied was none other than Jesus and he came to establish a new covenant. Now then, what had happened with these people, as soon as they started to believe it, things began to go wrong in their lives. They suffered persecution. Nobody had been martyred, but they had their Property confiscated and they were living a marginalized life and they began to say oh maybe we've made a mistake We've, we've, we've got involved in the wrong religion we've got to go back to the religion we had before and the writer to the Hebrews some say the Apostle Paul others say other writers writing to them saying no 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 hold fast I want to encourage you hold fast Everything that you saw in what we call the Old Testament pointing towards the coming of Christ, all the laws, all the rules, all the the activity of animal sacrifice and priestly ministry, all of those things have been fulfilled in Jesus. And that's what he's preaching here. He "You, we have a high priest. This is a heavenly high priest. It's better than any priest on earth. Those Levitical priests, they come and they go. But this one is in the order of Melchizedek, both priest and king. He goes on forever and ever and he ever lives to make intercession for you, guaranteeing your faith, guaranteeing the outcome that that which you believe will not be lost on you and you will not be lost yourself, but you hold firmly into the anchor that keeps your soul. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying here. And so this is now the present day activity of Jesus. Okay? The present activity of Jesus. He is the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. I want to say three things briefly before we finish this morning so that we can go away with some extra confidence here. Don't forget that I'm really wanting you to draw again near him with confidence, knowing that the things which are invisible even to our natural eyes are way outside of the realm of regular sense data this revelation knowledge, which has good facts and reasons attached to it, not saying we can prove it like we can prove a mathematical equation, but there are some really good, 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 good reasons to believe that we're on the right track when we say Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Three things. Number one, he's seated at the right hand of God. Now we know the right hand of God is metaphorical language for the place of authority. Place of authority. He's seated as a place of accomplishment. Okay? Place of accomplishment. Seated a place of authority, place of accomplishment. The right hand of God, in other words, this is the highest authority in the universe. And therefore what he says counts. His opinion counts. And if he has that power, then he's never gonna let you go. Oh jilly jilly, jilly jilly. Where have you been all summer? Have you been singing all over the place? Been singing all over the place? Yes. I've been all over the place, but not singing. So, he who took hold of you, Jilly, will complete that work of perfection till the day Jesus returns. You, you, you may not be there yet. Not like this guy. This guy next to you. He's perfect, isn't he? Are you perfect? <laughs> You're not perfect? No, not okay, not yet. You're getting there. So, the point is, is that none of us is the finished article. None of us is the finished article. We're all... We're holy, but we're holy like a string vest. You can see straight through us. All right? But we're not where we should be yet. But our confidence is, is in him, not in ourselves. Yes. It's in him. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. It's not how good we are. It's what he is. And if he has authority, then he's never going to let us go. Remember that. Whatever you're going through, he will never let you go. And it's not an escapist belief, because tomorrow morning, here's some good news for you. Your problems will still be there. Hello, oh yeah, we can say praise God, hallelujah, I'm shutting my eyes, I'm waving my hands, I'm a charismaniac today, I'm a Pentecostal. I'm an evangelic baby today, everything's wonderful, and then tomorrow, back to normal. It's not a way out. Those Hebrew believers discovered that. Where do we get this idea where we think that because we're believers, everything's going to be hunky-dory? This God is committed to our comfort. It's all about, Yea, Lord, I cometh unto thee. And if I speaketh like this, you'll understand me better. I cometh to thee, Lordeth. And you are there to do whatever I will. Amen. Remember the Lord's Prayer? It says, May your will be done on earth as is in heaven. It's not, May my will be done in heaven as is done on earth. It's the other way around. And this idea of surrender is not escapism at all. And for some of the friends, I'm being very lighthearted about this. In a way, I'm, I'm faking it a bit because I'm deeply, deeply troubled as I met some of these disciples and what they're going through in different parts of the world. Stories of people who are baptized and have their heads decapitated. Stories of people who come to Christ and being shot. And one, one, one young man now still carries the bullet wound in his back as he confessed Christ to his family and he had to escape the country. His father was hunting down with a gun and simply because he said he loved Jesus. And just because in this this country we're still living in a society that is relatively tolerant and relatively open to people with different kinds of beliefs, including ours, doesn't mean to say that we're always going to have it easy. And this idea that you exchange all your troubled life and you get the perfect life back from Jesus, you know, you'll soon find after six weeks or six months, that it's not like that. But what he does give us is a confidence and a strength by which we can face the reality of our daily experience, including our own weakness. Do you know what? In a rare, rare moment of openness, and I will close up again instantly, but I want to tell you the biggest challenge to my faith, you know what the biggest challenge to my faith is me, my weaknesses. But here this says, it's not about my weaknesses, but his strength. He who understands what it is to be human, what it, uh, to be tempted in every way that we're tempted, that one who is so real can meet you very really. If you are real with God, he'll be real with you. We come to him as we are. It's not about who we are. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. That's no easy way out because it'll cost you everything you have. To live for him. Is that true? That's true. Number one, authority. Number two, sanctification, holiness. I like this. Because Jesus is your holiness. The high priest is a representative figure. And he is the focal point of the spiritual life of the nation. Which means Jesus has fulfilled everything for you to qualify you for the presence of God. And that holiness is positional. Right now, you are as holy as you would ever be when God looks at you, Dane. He doesn't see you with your rapidly growing beard. He sees Christ in you, had a better beard than you do. Amen? He sees Christ in us. And the thing is, is that if that is true, then let's try and let it show. Let's try and let it show. This week, starting tomorrow, forget Sunday's your day off. You don't have to be holy on Sunday, do you? (laughs) All right. It counts on Monday. Tomorrow, let Jesus be seen in you. Because he's there. Let him. Let him be seen. And, and, And he'll be helping you. It's not a difficult life. It's an impossible life. For Christ to be seen in you. Let that mature in you. So, authority holiness, and finally, forgiveness. He ever lives to make intercession, what does this mean? It means he lives to forgive. What a thought that is. This high priest is for you. One of the big problems, you know, when I, I talk to my friends, they say, oh, I don't believe in the God, that, that God, your God, the Christian God. Describe him. When they describe him, I say, I don't believe in him any either. I don't believe in that kind of a God. A God up there with a long beard, grey hair. He's going to zap you every time you look at him crooked. If only we knew the immense, infinite compassion that there is in the heart of our heavenly high priest. And and he 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 understands it, you see, because he he's been here. He he's, he's sat where you sit. And when, when we go down, surface experiences vary. If we were to give testimony here, talk about our, our experiences, surface above the surface experiences, our background, things we've been through, social background, things we've suffered, things we've enjoyed, there'd be a lot of differences. But go a little bit beneath the surface, and we're all the same. We all are human beings that crave to be valued, craved to be in relation, craved to be in relationship genuine relationship who look for basic human things which God has placed in our hearts, the same everywhere, whether it's some of my tribal people in Africa or whether it's some of these young Brazilians with tattoos through their noses or whatever else goes on. Uh, it, it, beneath the surface there is a common human aspiration and we can understand one another and Jesus has lived that life he understands what you're going through. He's been tempted in every single way in principle, not in every degree, but not in every kind, but in principle exactly the way you've been tempted and he understands. He understands that you struggle. He understands that I struggle. He understands. And it's, and it's not like a pat on the head, there, there, there. Daddy's here. No. It's this wonderful presence working from within. And beginning to express the reality of who He is in your life. And here is the top line, here's the bottom line. He ever lives to forgive. He lives to forgive. He lives to forgive. He lives to forgive. He lives to forgive. That's why we need a Heavenly High Priest. So that when we come before Him, the one who has qualified us for the presence of God is the one who continues to keep us in the Father's presence. Now I'll just deal with one little thing before we close. I know there's some people today who are saying we don't need to ask God to forgive us. Either because sin doesn't exist or because we're already saved and it's all done. And I know it's true in a way that the gift of righteousness is given to us, it's not our own works. And that's a once for all gift that guarantees our presence and our future. But but the truth is, you and I know every single day, at the end of the day, we say, oh, my, 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 that which I ought not to have done, I've done, that which I ought to have done, I've not done. And that would be the most depressing way to live your life, because we're not where we should be. Is that right? Can you say that? Do you have a desire to grow, to bear more fruit? Do you have a desire to be more like Jesus, yes or no? Okay, that's a gift from him. But the bottom line is, is that he is there to receive us, to speak God's love over our lives and to grant us forgiveness as we turn to him. So we don't come in a slavish way of fear for retribution but we come boldly covered by his love and knowing that whatever has gone wrong He's taking care of it. That's the faith that will give you confidence today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in the wonderful name of Jesus for the reality of our faith. And I ask that every person of faith in this place today would be encouraged to think about the reality of it. And every person who is wanting to discover faith, that they would find a desire in them to search out the truth or otherwise, the reality of what we say, what we believe. To those watching online today, pray you be with them. Some of them we know are watching in very difficult circumstances, in some very closed nations in the world. We pray for you, my dear friend, today that God will be with you, God will strengthen you, God will encourage you. And we here in the West, we've not forgotten you. We love you, we care for you. Lead us and guide us into the week that comes, make us fruitful and faithful, and make us heavenly minded and of practical use here on this earth. In Jesus' name. Amen Amen and amen.